0: My name is Gail, if you don't know who I am. I'm married to Alan, who is the senior pastor. And Alan, and there's a group of 11 or 12 of our people that are ministering on the streets in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Who wants to say that's easy? Not me. How many of you Is there anyone, because somebody came up to me last night and said, I don't really know what Mardi Gras is. What is Mardi Gras? Is there anybody here that does not know what Mardi Gras is? It's a big party. Everybody is partying on the streets, and they're um, going wild and crazy, getting ready for Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday. And on midnight Tuesday night, the police come in on their horses and they clear out the streets. Everybody goes home because that is Ash Wednesday, which signifies the season of fasting up Lent up until Easter. So, man, people are getting their party on down there because most of them have no idea what, what significance there is to this. They're just wanting to go because it's a big party, and it's rough, I'm telling you. I've been once. I laughed last night and said, I almost got taken out by the Canadian firefighter that wanted me to go with him. And thank goodness I had my husband. And I'm like, mm, I think I'll pass on that. Um, but the team, are, they're out there worshiping during the day and they're out there standing for hours and hours and hours on the streets. Just to bring encounters of the living God in the midst of this atmosphere. And you would be surprised how many times God breaks through. You know, there are a lot of people, they're even believers, but they go down for the party. They're not really in it for something evil. They're just having fun. And then there are others that are seekers, they want to know, but they just haven't found anyone that will tell them. So the atmosphere there is you've got the party crowd, you've got the religious crowd who in, in this long line of, I don't know if they still do it this way, but they're carrying signs basically of hate. God hates you because you're drinking. God hates you. The one I was really offended at was they actually had loudmouth women on there that God is going to condemn you and send you to hell. And I'm, Okay. Because um, sometimes people say I have a loudmouth. Um, anyway, I would just covet your prayers for the team because it is a, it's a pretty intense ministry that they're, they're really going into the darkness to rescue the lost and we need to cover them in prayer so Lord right now we just ask you to cover this team God the ones that are from New Life the ones that are from Starkville the ones that are from Dallas Lord as they go to release the love of Jesus and the truth of who he is to the people that will listen God we ask for protection we ask for breakthrough we ask God for God encounters through our team Lord that they would come back with the most awesome some God stories that we could all be encouraged to do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it's just been three months since I, since I was up here saying, t- teaching, saying something. I, I very rarely like to call it preaching, but I guess that kind of is what it is. And I made a commitment to the Lord that if he gave me a message that I would be obedient. Now most of you that have known me a long time, and I, and I really didn't understand the significance of this until last night. Normally I speak about once every nine months. That's, that's good for me. This is not my favorite. I'll do it, but I, I don't cherish it, covet it. However, I, I told the Lord, because I, I think we all need to be stretched in whatever way he's calling us to be stretched. And so I made a commitment to the Lord. If you give me a word, I will speak it. So I was actually supposed to speak in January, but Alan ended up coming home from India. I knew he had another trip, so I said, why don't I delay? And I'm so glad that I did because some of what Alan has been teaching has laid foundation for what I want to share with you today. But I'm going to tell you how this goes, and this was the revelation I got last night. For me creating a message is not, I'm not a theologian like Alan, who just has it all in him, and and within two minutes, he can give you a 45-minute message. Mine has to be, I have to really hear the Lord, and it has to be over a period of time. That might change, but that's the way it is right now. And so, I likened it last night to being, having a seed in Planted or me being impregnated with a word from God, and that it takes time for that to develop inside me and to get clarity on what I'm supposed to do in, in order to be able to release it. So, I'll be honest with you, the week of the message, I'm usually saying, why in the world did I say I would do this? How many of you women ever said that at nine months of pregnancy? Why did I say I wanted to do this? (laughs) Because you're not sleeping. I wasn't sleeping. It is literally torment getting that baby out. So now you know how I feel. It, it, it is like torment getting the message out. However, I pray that the end result will be a blessing. And I'm just being a <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I'm crazy. Um, these are the things that I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning hearing the Lord say. So I'm just giving you. But, okay, so this is what I believe is my word for New Life City for the year 2020. Are you ready for it? Come on, because you're going to get it. And honestly, the worship and the word that Lisa had went so well with my message because we are constantly being called to shake off our grave clothes we're constantly being called to awaken and arise and to live in the fullness of the holy spirit and not get in a place of complacency that is hard to do sometimes we all have to struggle against that but the call today is see if this works the word courage i feel like it it, it feels As though our culture has just about gone crazy. That there's chaos all around us. That there's uncertainty all around us. People don't know who they are. This is not how it always was, well, probably to some degree, but not to the degree that I feel like it is now. And I feel like the Lord is saying, we must stand and have a strong and faithful heart. We must be called to a resurrected life of courage. And so, honestly, I think this just might be the first of a few messages that are coming, because I really did not expect the Lord to take me to the place that he did. And honestly, I don't like it. I'm just gonna be honest with you, I don't like it. But, so I've, that's part of why it's been such a struggle this week, because I really didn't want to do this. But I have to say yes to the Lord and be obedient with whatever he's showing me to do. And I'm praying that that what is happening today is that you're going to be impregnated with a new sense of courage in your life that maybe has been laid to the wayside for some reason. And that there will be a resurrection in, in that place in your life where you will rise up and say, I'm not, because here's what happens to me. I've said this many times and I'll probably say it every time I speak. I get knocked down and then I realize what has happened. Like the enemy is trying to take me out. And then I get so full of righteous anger. I make the devil sorry he messed with me. And that is called courage. Courage is, it, it comes, as Lisa reminded me this morning, courage comes from a place of intimacy, if intimacy. Godly courage, a lot of people have courage, but it's not what i 'm talking about. Okay, so here are the definitions that I looked up: the first one: the ability to do something that frightens one. Okay, I identify with that one i I, <laughs> I like speaking in public and when Here's the key though, when you find passion for a subject, when God fills you with passion, then the courage rises up and you can overcome what frightens you. And so when I was in college, whatever degree I was getting, I had to take speech. I hated, I don't wanna do that. It was a class of probably 20 people and I didn't wanna have to get up and speak in front of anybody, but they gave me a subject which God planted passion, and that passion overcame the fear. And I got most improved speaker in, the, in my college class. Isn't that amazing? But it came not because of my own ability. It came because God gave me something for which to be passionate. So the ability to do something that frightens you is a definition of courage. Another one is strength in the presence of pain or grief. I said last night, I think almost on a daily basis about people that are in our family that I know are suffering deeply. They're suffering from such physical pain that even getting up in the morning is hard. And everything in them wants to say, just give up, just give up, just give up. But they don't. They don't. That takes a courage that I've only experienced a very minute time. When we started this church, I had a a bulging disc in my back. And I have never in my life, even after having two C-sections, never in my life experienced that kind of pain. And I'm talking about these people are my friends. And they've been in pain for years And it takes courage for them to endure and keep going, but they do it. And so they are examples to me every day. We do believe in healing. We do pray for healing. We have no idea the mystery of why some receive this and some do not. But it is not for me to question. It is for me to continue to pray, support, love, care, strengthen the presence of pain or grief. And I know there's some of you that have suffered immeasurable grief that only God can bring comfort into those places. That's courage. It takes courage because half of the world is giving up. Half of the world is just saying, I'm just going to drink my sorrows away. I'm just going to do drugs so that I, won't, I will not numb the pain I'm in. That's what half of the world is doing. Well, maybe not half, but a certain amount. And it, it's our mission to say there's a better way to live. God will be with you, he will carry you, he will help you. Don't give up, you gotta have courage. But this is the one that struck me the most and it's the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere and withstand danger, fear or difficulty. I guess the first two are kind of encompassed in the third, but for me, this was the one that I just attached myself to. Mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Now, last night, I wasn't planning on doing this, but the Lord reminded me. How many of you know what the greatest generation was? all these old people, it's all of us old people, you know, they're dying off, but we're, we are, um, I feel in some way challenged to not forget them. The greatest generation of our time, it was my parents. I'm getting old enough now that, you know, that's my parents. Um, it was the generation that faced World War II. The generation, I mean, we think our world is crazy and bad, but, man, can you imagine what that generation saw, lived through, endured, what they believed? And I, my family was in that uh, conflict. My, I, especially two uncles, um, two uncles. One was L.H. L.H. was my mother's older brother, and he and Joe were right next to each other in age. L.H. was in that team of soldiers that went in first. They went in first in the, the European countries where the Allied armies were trying to invade and rescue the ones that had been taken over by the Germans. And so LH was in the, in the group that went in and they built trenches and, and they, they were the forerunners to assist the troops that would come but it must have been really hard and grueling work. So LH comes home back to Mississippi after his time in the military. And his brother, Joe, the one that he was the closest to, was here in Albuquerque. And, and he was, I guess he was at Kirkland. He was in the Air Force. Well, Joe was testing. It was actually after the war. He was testing a plane, and the plane blew up, and he was killed the significant thing and the connection that my family has had to albuquerque all these years before i ever dreamed of moving here was the only the only family member that's not buried in mississippi is joe and he's buried here in albuquerque so it was a big deal when we first moved here 28 years ago to my oldest uncle to search out and find his grave and put flowers on that grave because my uncle was obsessed with that kind of thing. So we did, and I was taken back when I saw that gravestone and realized that Joe was only 32 years old. But that time in history, no one thought twice about signing up and fighting that we would remain free that we would have freedom to live the what our conscience that we would not be overtaken by people who were were going to control us and tell us what we could or could not do that was that just didn't even consider it wasn't they just did it it was what you did all right so last night after i did the message I really felt like the Lord is saying, okay, to some degree, we feel like we've gotten off our moral compass, but God is resurrecting a people, and we are in that company who will stand with courage and without a moment's thought, do whatever it is he tells us to do. There's momentary courage, and there's sustained courage. So, when we first moved here, I think we had probably lived here about three years. Alan and I are at the, we're at Coronado Mall. And we're just walking down the mall. I have no idea what we were doing there, but we were walking down the mall. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this young man. He was, he was in the act of stealing a pair of shoes without even thinking about what I was doing, I went straight up to this young man and I said, you put those shoes back right this minute. Alan doesn't even know what in the world is she doing because he didn't see any of this. He's just walking along. And you know what? That young man did what I told him to. That, And then, you know, of course, then I realized what I had done and I'm I'm shaking like, get me out of here. Somebody's going to kill me. Because they actually, he was with a group. It wasn't just one young man. But I didn't see that. I just saw the one kid. And that's what I'm talking about. I think that we are born because we are created in the image of God. So we're born with this instinctive courage that just rises out of us without us even realizing it. And so, crazy me, I've never forgotten that. Have Did anybody of you? Did anyone this week hear about Mr. Bob? <laughs> Julie did. Mr. Bob was, was an 88-year-old crossing guard, which pretty much overwhelms me that at 88 years old, you're still helping children get across the, the street to get to their school well his name they called him Mr. Bob he had been doing it for 5 years and i don't know if it was exactly this week but the article came out this week that a car came speeding through where the crosswalk was you know the yellow lights flashing slow down i hope all of you slow down slow down don't hurt these children but this car came barreling through and mr bob yelled at the children they stopped and got back on the curb but the car hit mr bob and killed him 88 years old that's momentary courage an instinctive thing that just rises up in you and we see it in we see it all the time we we do see examples of that But today, I really want us to talk about sustained courage. Building that intimacy with God that just makes us to be Him. It makes us, we said this morning, God, you are my rock. You are my stronghold. How does that play out in the world? He chose that it would play out through us. We are his rock. We are his stronghold in the, in the earth. That's how he chose to do things. Yes, it is him who does it in us, and then he does it through us. So we had this scripture not too long ago. Alan uh, talked about it. Stay alert, stand firm in the faith, show courage, and be strong. I'm just telling you, I believe with all my heart that this is the year. I dread this year, to be honest with you. Can I just be truthful? I am not excited about 2020, November, and everything leading up to it and what we're going to have to deal with. So we're going to have to have moral courage. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know it's a political year, right? Our nation is being thrust into chaos, into confusion, into vitriol. So I'm calling New Life City to be a people that stand with moral courage to not get swept up in that political craziness. Now I'm telling you, we need to vote. We need to honor how our Country has been established. We need to take these things very seriously. But please, I beg of you, don't get caught up. I, I almost want to tell you if I see you post something on Facebook, I'm calling you out. Because, you know, Mama Gail doesn't say much on Facebook, but she is watching all the time. I just want you to know she's your moral compass. <laughs> At least my husband's off Facebook, and he's not posting anymore. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> we, we need to care, guys. But I, the courage that we have to live with this year is to press into what the Lord has to say, not get caught up in personalities on any side, and listen to what he has to say but I'm telling you, there are people at New Life City that are in our family that would not agree politically not one iota, well, maybe one iota, in a lot of ways. But it doesn't mean that we don't love each other and that we won't stay a family. I don't, I don't want to see relationships get damaged because of the way that we choose to live out our Moral responsibility in this country. This is really where the the message began. I felt like God just started stirring in me and saying, you you have to preach this word. You have to say this word. We have to stay sane. And you're not going to do it if you constantly watch the news. Yes, be informed. But don't fill your mind with all that stuff all day, every day. Do not do it. Mama Gail's going to come to your house. and I'm going to smash your TV in. <laughs> Stay alert. Stand firm in the faith. Show courage and be strong. I'm so grateful that, that the story of the Bible has given us many examples. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. But, but you know... The Bible's not just a sweet little book. It's actually an account of true people that lived true life and that God worked through. Now, I do love the, um, I love Alan's teaching. I, sometimes I think, I'm, I'm in your head trying to listen to his mind, and sometimes I think it doesn't always come out clear. But I know what he means because I've lived with him for such a long time, and I, um, I've listened to him. I know all of his teaching, but is there a reason? Am I going dead? Oh, nope. There, um, the story of the Bible is this. Adam and Eve were created to have a relationship with God. They were covered in the presence of God. They got tripped up by the devil. He stole their inheritance, basically, to rule and reign over the earth. But God says, I've got a solution to this. So he tells Eve, you're going to have a seed and, and that seed is going to be the redemption of all this stuff. And but it's gonna, you know, your seed is gonna be at enmity, blah, blah, blah. You got it? You, you see where I'm going. The entire Old Testament. It is the story of the preservation of the seed. God chose a family headed up by Abraham. Abraham was a pagan who worshiped the moon. He knew nothing about Jehovah God. And God called out to him. and without really understanding what he was doing, Abraham said yes. Did he do it perfectly? Goodness, no. Have you walked out your life perfectly? Have I walked out my faith perfectly? Absolutely not. It's been a struggle at times. We've all had to learn and get better. So Abraham, then he's given this promise that he's going to have this son of you know, the son of the promise, and so he's waiting and waiting, and he's trying to figure it out because God is slow. What is wrong with you, God, that you're so slow? I have no idea, but he was. But Abraham, the part that just takes me is he's finally got the child, Isaac. He's the child of the promise, the one that he's waited for, the one that God's going to bring blessing to all the earth through this child. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice him. What? Are you sure? Because that doesn't sound right to me. So Abraham immediately goes to Sarah and says, you cannot believe what God told me to do. No, I don't think he did that. Because I cannot imagine if I was Sarah, the conversation that I would be having with Abraham about, (laughs) no, you're not going to do that. Do you think that he told the servant that went with him, this is what God's told us to do, so come on, let's pack everything up. Get No, don't think he did that either. Oh, I, I'm sure he told Isaac. I'm sure, I'm sure he told Isaac. Isaac, we're going to go on a three-day journey, and guess what comes at the end? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I doubt he told Isaac either. And I, I have just thought about the courage The sustained courage that Abraham had to walk out in those days leading up to what God had called him to do. Now, the scripture is very clear. It says that, that Abraham believed that if he did kill Isaac, that God would resurrect him. He had that kind of faith. He had that kind of intimacy with God that created that kind of courage. That he could do anything God called him to do. Moses. Moses, you know, was he was born of the Hebrew um, nation, but they were the Pharaoh was killing all the babies, and so he was hidden. He was actually taken in by Pharaoh's daughter, adopted, given this. I'm assuming a very lavish lifestyle, but the scripture tells us that he chose not to live according to what I would call the flesh, but according to faith, but he makes a mess of things. He goes on his little journey and God calls him to come back and save the people. Not just a few of them. I I, I don't even know if I really want to handle 200 people, much less the amount of people that he's going to be um, leading, but he has to go first and encounter his grandfather. You know, we don't really look at it like that. Pharaoh was his grandfather. I don't know what kind of relationship Moses had with him, but he is going to not only stand up to the most powerful man in all of the nation of Egypt, but it's his grandfather. But Moses has the moral courage to do what God's called him to do. Joseph, one of my favorites, because joseph he was kind of bratty, he told his brothers he had had this dream, and you know he's just he's just young and he's not really thinking, but the journey that God puts him on is one of intense suffering. He's put in a pit, he's sold into slavery, he's never seeing his family again he he finds um He finds himself in prison. He thinks he's going to get out, but he doesn't get out, so he's there even longer, and he finally does get out, and he's put in charge, and then, oh my goodness, the woman wants him, and if he had said yes to her, his life probably would have been a little easier uh, temporarily, but he doesn't do that. He holds his moral courage to do what God's told him to do. Do you think at that moment he knew what the future was going to look like? No. He never knew until it unfolded. But in the midst of all the suffering, Joseph chose courage. Esther. Esther, this beautiful young woman who has lost her family is being raised by her uncle. She's in a pagan land in the the midst of the, the faith family and And I actually, when I reread the story, I thought, you know, Queen Vashti, she was kind of the first women's lib. Yeah. Because she's like, you're not treating me that way. He wanted her, the queen, to come in to the court to show her off, basically. And she's like, nope, not doing that. And she paid. He said, okay, I'm done with you, so I'm going to find another well, he calls all these young women in, basically into his harem. I said last night I won't say the word, but we have another word for that. When young women are forced into relationships against their will. I mean, this is the truth of these stories, of these accounts of people's lives. But I will say, but God. But God. So It takes courage in the midst of our suffering to think about the plan of God that will come forth through that suffering. Do you understand me? That's hard. That's a hard one. We usually don't get it until after the suffering is over. We look back and go, oh, that's what that was all about. But do you have the moral courage in the midst of the suffering to keep saying yes? So, those of you that know the story, and I don't have time to go into it all, but Esther, there's this plot against her nation within this pagan land that they're going to be wiped out. But remember the story, God has got to protect the seed. His plan is going to overcome any plan of the enemy, whether his people are in on the plan or not. Because many times they were not in on the plan but God. But Esther was one that said, okay, I will. Uncle Mordecai says, you need to go into the king. This is what's happening. Our whole nation is going to be um, slaughtered. And she knew that to go into the king without permission was most likely certain death. She could have saved her own skin. Nobody would have ever known. And she probably would have been okay. I don't know that for sure. Uh, Mordecai said she probably would not. He said, but for such a time as this, God has brought you to this place. So she calls all of her people to fast for three days. And at the risk of her own life, this young woman was very young. She was not a mature person of my age. She was young but she believed her uncle. She believed God, and she goes in. She requests permission, and we all know the rest of the story that the king invites her in. She finds favor, and he allows the nation, the Hebrew nation, to defend themselves, and they're victorious. A whole nation was saved because this young woman acted with moral courage. Daniel. Daniel was also in a pagan land. They had been taken uh, captive because of their own sin. And Daniel has been stripped of his manhood, serving the king. And, you know, they're told, you got to eat this way, you got to do this. And Daniel says, Well, can I do this? Can I show you how this will work out? He finds favor. But ultimately, he ends up being put in the lion's den, put in in the fiery furnace, but he never wavers because he has moral courage. Mary, what can I say about Mary? I don't know about you, but if an angel showed up to me and I'm 14 years old and I'm not married, and the angel says, I've got great news for you, Mary. You're going to have a Baby, and she's, yeah, really? I well, I I am betrothed, but we're not yet married, so how's this gonna work out? But Mary doesn't question, she says, Be it unto me as you wish, as you say. She had such an innocence about her, and Mary had to have known that her life would be filled. Till the day probably she died with rumors that she was an ungodly woman. But she never wavered. Mary never had any idea the suffering that she would endure because of the call that was on her son. But she never, as far as I know, she didn't waver. Moral courage. And then lastly, we have Paul. Paul, I identify with him the most, the one that was brought up in a steady family of faith who loved God from the from the time he was a little boy, who studied the Word, who per, just, I mean, had such a passion for God. He wanted to serve God in all of his ways and know Him and do all the right things, and then he finds out that, His perspective is not quite right. He gets blinded on the road to Damascus, I think, by Jesus himself. And his world is turned upside down. And then there's the story of that wonderful man named Ananias that we know nothing about. But Ananias is called to go and minister to Paul and to restore his sight. And Ananias goes, but wait a minute. Haven't you heard what he's doing? He's killing Christians. You really want me? Courage. 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 If these people had not exhibited courage, we wouldn't be where we are today. And so much more. So, what is our call? Maya Angelou said courage is the most important. Of all virtues, because without courage, you can't practice any other courage consistently. I actually said, Well, Lord, could courage be a gift of the Spirit? Because it is true. If you don't have courage, you won't step out in the prophetic. If you don't have courage, you won't pray for the sick to be healed. If you don't have courage, you won't be a person that gives beyond understanding. If you don't have courage, you'll never speak the truth to the lost about who Jesus is. Courage is essential to living out the life that he's called us to live. It's essential. Holy Spirit courage. Every single person I've talked to you about today has endured, had endured suffering. So the writer says, we... We rejoice in our sufferings? Really? We rejoice in our sufferings? Why? How can I rejoice in my suffering? I don't... Knowing that suffering, I'm going to say, can produce endurance. We all have a choice. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It takes courage to live in the midst of a world that is chaotic that is full of suffering, that is full of pain, that is full of mystery, that is full of even evil, it takes courage. But through the Holy Spirit, we can do this, guys. We can do it. Call to action. This is the part where the twist came in the plot. And I said, Lord, I don't like this. This is not where I want to go. But he, okay. I'm like, okay, I'll just do it. Arise, you sleeper, rise up from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. So be very careful how you live, not being like those with no understanding, but live honorably with true wisdom, for we are living in evil times. Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. So, I don't even know what, it it might be Facebook, I don't know. I said, is my goal, my ambition to lead a simple life? But I married the wrong man for that. (laughs) Um, And then another place, I said, live life to the fullest. Okay, so Alan... Has been laying the groundwork for us out of Ephesians the last couple of weeks in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. We're not righteous because of our own behavior, because of anything that we've done to earn that status. We're righteous. Remember, righteousness is a covenantal term. It means that because Jesus paid the price, we now are in right standing with God. And he actually gave the analogy of my our marriage. Alan, I've been married will be forty six years in May. And he actually said, bless his little heart, I can go in the room and I know when things are not right. He can feel in the air. I'm telling you, it's always, always, always all his fault. I'm just telling you, it's true. (laughs) See, I got the microphone this week. I can say whatever I want to. I'm just teasing. But what he said was, because, and I feel the same way, because of... I don't want to be out of sync with him. See, I have this crazy notion to believe that God gave us marriage so that we would be a reflection to the world of Jesus and his bride. And I can't do that if I'm out of sync with my husband. So my rightness with Alan really is beyond my behavior It's not quite the same as my relationship with God. But because I've entered into a covenant relationship with him, it's because I want to be right with him. Am I making sense? In other words, my union with Alan affects my behavior toward Alan. I don't want there to be issues. I love him. My life goal is to serve that man and make his life easier. I do believe, side note, that we're called to minister to our spouse. I take that very seriously. The same way, my righteousness, my right relationship to my heavenly father has nothing to do with how good I am. I can't attain that. Jesus did that for me. However, because of my love for him and for what he's done for me, I care about my behavior. See, for freedom, he has made us free. So I don't live under the guilt and manipulation and the bondage of I've got to do everything just so or God's not going to love me. I can't change his love for me. He loves me no matter what. He just is love. But I am responsible for me. So the end of the message is, do you have courage To face this, what if God is waiting for a people to rise up who will not tolerate anything in their life in order to create a move on the earth? What if? Are we willing? Are we really willing to say yes, Lord, whatever you show me? Look, I'm going to tell you, I've lived a long time. I've worked through a lot of my stuff. God has helped me. He's cleaned me. He's shown me ways. But I'm not where none of us are perfect. And if he so says, Mom Gail, there's something there. I need you to take care of that. Am I the one that will say, I don't want to do that? Mm -mm. Don't make me do that. I don't want to do that. That's hard. Yes, it's hard, but that's why you live in intimacy so that you have the courage to be able to do what he calls you to do. All right, so here's the question. I forgot to say this last night. He doesn't show us things in our life to hurt us, to shame us, to destroy us. He shows us things in our life to heal us. See, that's the difference. Many of us grew up with an image of God that he just didn't like us very much, and that if we did anything outside of his purposes or his glory, he would be mad. That's not God at all. He's love. His love is so unending that he wants you to be the best you can be. He wants me to be the best Mama Gail I can be. It is not up to me to understand why he says to do certain things. It is only up to me to say yes. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So, my question is if there was something in your life that you had done, or and no one on the face of the earth knew, not one person knew, just you and God, and He Brought that to your remembrance and he instructed you to do something about it. Would you do it? Nobody knows, not one person, nobody knows this, just you and the Lord. Would you be willing? Nobody's ever going to know about it. What's the harm? Nobody really got hurt because they don't know. It's just you and God. That's the question for today. So I have to tell you, that was me. That was me. It's been some time ago. That thing was look, I had repented. I had asked for forgiveness. I knew that God was not holding that to my account. That's not the point. The point is he reminded me of something that was long ago forgotten, that I was young and I, I stupid. And he said, I want, you to, I want you to clean that mess up. And I went, really? I don't think so. Let's don't do that. Let's just sweep that right back under the rug and forget about it. And a few months later, he reminded me again, no, I really do want you to do something about that. And finally, on the third time, not only did he say, I want you to do something, he told me exactly what to do. See, this is being in an intimate relationship. It's as if he is my earthly father, and I'm sitting face-to-face talking to him about the struggles of my life. And so I said, okay. I knew he had told me to preach this message, and I knew there was no way I was going to get up here and talk to you about courage if I had not been obedient to what he called me to do. Now, the truth is, why? Why did he ask me to do that? I really don't know. That's not the point. The point is, I want to be so in sync with my Heavenly Father that I can be used in a moment's notice that that momentary courage will arise in me because of a sustained courage that I have learned to live out of. Amen? Okay, why don't we all stand? So, look, I say this about Alan all the time. Alan, you have been thinking about these things. You've been processing these things, and then you bring it to us, and you expect us to be right where you are in a moment. That doesn't usually happen. This takes time. My question for you today is, are you willing Now, you understand why I didn't want to preach this message? This is not a fun message. But I do think it's an essential message for the season that God is preparing us for. Are you willing? It may be something that is gone out of your conscious thinking. But God wants something done in your life. Or there may be things that you can immediately say, I know exactly, Lord, what you would have me clean up. This is about cleaning up the mess in our life in order to prepare us for what God has for us. So that's number one. You can start coming if if you're not, if you have courage. Number two, do you just need courage? Are you going through something in your life that is so hard that you need someone to pray with you? And Help you see, we're a family, and that's why I'm like, I, 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 I'm gonna be honest with you. Alan didn't even know, and he and I processed it with him because I'm like, do do I share it? Do I get that raw? Do I get that transparent? And of course, he's like, what I don't want is for you to feel like I'm carrying shame. I can say these things because my shame was paid for on the cross. I don't walk in shame. But I also know that I have a family, a family who love me and just want God's best for me. Kind of crazy, isn't it? To be in an atmosphere that's that safe. But this is who God is and this is who He's called us to be. So come down. If you need courage, if you just want to say, God, I will, I will obey anything you show me. I want to be so in right relationship with you. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it because your spirit is going to give me the courage to step out and take care of whatever it is that you have for me. I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty.